are now in the final three chapters of our study in the book of Romans entitled God's Righteousness, Great God, Wonderful Salvation. In chapters 1 to 11, Paul explained the gospel. God justified us. He has made us righteous by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And now starting chapter 12 to 15, Paul begins to answer this important question. In view of God's mercies and blessings that he has given us through Christ, how then should we respond? How then should we live? The answer, God calls us to transform our lives that reflects God's righteousness and Christ-like love in our daily lives. God calls us to a transformed life that reflects God's righteousness and Christ-like love in our daily lives. And this life, this new life in Christ should transform our relationship with God, our relationship with our fellow Christians, our relationship with the government, with those outside the church, and even our enemies. Now here in chapter 14, Paul moves to a specific issue that was causing conflict in the church in Rome. You see, the church in Rome is a very diverse group. They had members who were Jews and Gentiles. They had new converts and long-time believers. And as you would expect, this diversity of lead to differences of opinions about certain issues. And the result, it caused a lot of conflicts in the church. And that is the issue that Paul addressed here, starting in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, all the way to chapter 15, verse 13. Now, Romans chapter 14 is very important for us as well. Why? Because like the church in Rome, our people here in CBCP are very different. We have different age, ethnicity, background, and experiences. And so we need to listen carefully to the Lord through the Apostle Paul. Now, here in chapter 14, Paul will guide us to answer these questions. How do we handle disputable matters? And how do we show sincere love to those whose opinions differ from us? The title of our passage or the title of our message today is Loving the Weak and the Strong. And I invite you to open your Bibles with me and follow along as we read through and study Romans chapter 14. Paul gives us four ways how we can show sincere love to the weak and the strong. He says, accept one another. Don't judge your fellow believers. Don't cause others to stumble and build each other up. Now let's take a look at each. The first, accept one another. Verse one, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Before we continue, we need to define some important terms. First, who are the weak and the strong? Paul classifies people in the church as weak and strong. These are the two groups in our church and every church has this group, the weak and the strong. Now, please note that both the weak and the strong are genuine believers. Both are genuine followers of Christ. Those strong in faith are those who understand their freedom in Christ. They are not bound by traditions and they enjoy their freedom regarding secondary matters or non-essential issues. Here in Romans, the strong are those who are not obligated to follow the Jewish laws. On the other hand, the weak in faith are believers who do not fully understand their freedom in Christ. Perhaps it's because of ignorance or maybe it's because of misunderstanding of the truth. These weak are also strongly influenced by their background or experience. Also, the weak in faith are the more strict ones and they, are, they have a more sensitive conscience over matters that may not necessarily be sinful. Here in Romans, the weak think they still need to follow certain requirements of the Jewish law. Please note that it is not sinful to be weak. 
it is not sinful to be weak. It simply means that one needs to grow in their understanding of their freedom in Christ. Now also, those strong in faith could also be regarded as weak in certain areas. And the opposite is true. Those who are weak in faith could also be considered strong in some areas. Now what about disputable matters? This, these are matters of opinions and preferences. Disputable matters are issues that the Bible does not clearly forbid or command. And we call these gray areas. And these are debatable issues. Also, disputable matters are non-essential issues. They are considered secondary issues in the Christian life, meaning they are not essential for one's salvation. They do not affect our status as God's children, and they do not make us more or less holy. Oftentimes, disputable matters are influenced by one's personal taste, age, life stage, generation, or cultural background. Here in Romans 14, Paul mentioned two examples of disputable matters. One is about eating certain food and the other is about observing special days. Look at verse 2. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats, eats only vegetables. In this case, those who are strong in faith exercises their freedom in Christ. They eat anything and they feel that not, nothing is wrong with that. However, the weak eat only vegetables. Why? Is it because not eating meat is of a higher Christian virtue? Not really. You see, here's the background. First of all, the Jews were prohibited from eating pork. That's part of the Old Testament law. And as for eating other kinds of meat, the Jews only eat kosher, meaning the animal has to be prepared in a certain way. Secondly, some Christians only eat vegetable, not really for health reasons, rather for religious convictions. In Paul's time, sacrificing animals to idols in pagan temples was common practice. After a sacrifice was made, only part of it was burned, and the remainder, it often ends up being sold at the meat market that is near the temple. It's highly possible, given that situation, it's highly possible that you'd end up buying or eating meat that was sacrificed to the idols. And that's a big problem for the weak believers. They believe that by eating meat sacrificed to idols, it's equivalent already to idol worship. And so for them, it's a sin to eat meat because that would defile themselves and they would dishonor God. And with that same belief, they would project that same belief to others. If that person eats meat sacrificed to idols, then that person becomes defiled and that person also dishonors God. That is the belief, that is the thinking of the weak Christians. But how about the strong? The strong Christians, they buy and eat meat without any hesitation, without any question. They love the meat sold in the market next to the temples. Why? Because they can get the best cut of meats there and their conscience doesn't bother them. Now, is it sinful for Christians to eat meat? Not at all. Christ himself said that all food are clean and it does not defile the person. That's in Mark 7, 9. Paul also agrees that no food in itself is unclean or wrong to eat. That's in Romans 14, 14. Say it another way, eating or not eating won't make us closer to God and choosing not to eat meat is something that does not cause us to sin. In other words, eating or not eating is a non-essential issue. Another example of this beautiful matter is found in verse 5, observing special days. 
One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. What is this sacred day? Note that this passage is about disputable matters. It does not seem to refer to a day of worship. Why? Because during the time of Paul, the Lord's day was observed by all Christians on a Sunday, and it was a non-issue for them. How about the Sabbath? Well, some scholars still debate if Sabbath is included here or not. But some say that Sabbath should be a non-debatable issue, particularly having Sabbath or having a day of rest, one in every seven days, because that is still part of what God commanded in the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments is a non-debatable issue. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Again, the weak believes think that one day is more holy than other days. This probably refers to celebration of Jewish festivals or special days of fasting. These are celebration of Jewish festivals or fasting. Some Jews who converted to Christianity still feel the need to observe these Jewish holidays because for them, these sacred days has become part of their identity and it has become a concrete expression of their faith. Now, what's the point? The weak Christian regard certain days as holy, by the, but the strong Christian regard every day as equal because every day belongs to the Lord. And now Paul reminds us and says that this is a disputable matter. And how should we treat such matters that are non-essentials and disputable? Again, Paul says, accept one another, accept those whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matter. Now the word accept here means to take in to receive and welcome. And that is the opposite of rejection. Again, we are to accept each other, especially whether that person is weak in faith or strong in faith. So dear brothers and sisters in Christ, may God help us. Let us accept one another, especially on disputable matters. Don't let these non-essential issues disrupt our relationship and do not let this uh, be a hindrance for our fellowship. Again, the point is we need to welcome both the weak and the strong in our relationship with each other as we grow and love each other for the glory of God. Now, why should we accept those that have different opinions from us? Look at the end of verse 3. It says, For God has accepted them. For God has accepted them. In the eyes of God, those we label as weak or strong are righteous before Him. They believe Christ. They had faith in Christ Jesus and God accepted them through that faith. And now if God accepted our fellow believers, who then are we to reject them? You see, we need to embrace the fact that because of our differences, we would agree on certain issues and we would disagree on other issues as well. And so when that happens, God calls us to accept one another. And to do that, we need to understand this important principle. We need to know the difference between primary and secondary issues. We need to understand the essential from non-essentials. And what's the example of a primary issue? Primary issues includes the commands from the Bible, all the commands from the Bible. For example, do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not murder. These are clear commands from the Bible and we need to agree and be united on this. On the other hand, secondary issues are things that do not make us more or less holy. And scripture allows us to hold different opinions from these matters. For example, watching movies or sports, interracial marriages, use of style 
of music during a worship service? Is, is it using piano only or full band with drums? Using Western medicine or alternative medicine? Is it about sending children to a non-Christian school, Christian school, or sending him or homeschooling them? Also, celebrating Christmas. Others see this as debatable because it says that in the New Testament, uh, there's no direct uh, command for us to celebrate Christmas. What we are commanded is to remember the death and suffering and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Others also uh, includes the use of Christmas tree, drinking wine or beer, uh, hairstyle, who to vote for, to get vaccinated or not, or which Bible translation to use. These are examples of disputable matters. Again, with regards to disputable matters such as this, we need to allow freedom of opinion and we need to ask the Lord for discernment to help us not to blur the line between primary and secondary issues. Otherwise, we would be like the church in Rome wherein there's a conflict and division over non-essential things. You see, in the church in Rome, the strong sees the weak as someone or uh, someone being legalistic or narrow-minded. On the other hand, the weak views the strong as someone licentious or carnal. So may the Lord help us. Now, Paul addressed both parties and said in verse 3, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down to those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. Again, for God has accepted them. To the strong, Paul says, don't look down on the weak. Don't treat the weak as if they are lesser Christians or a lower class believers or they are less spiritual. On the other hand, the weak, Paul says, don't condemn the strong. Don't treat as if the strong are sinning against God. Again, instead of rejecting our fellow believers, God calls us to accept each other. And now this is counter to our nature because it's easier to love and accept those who agree with us and those who share the same view with us. But with God's help, we can love and accept each other, especially those that have different views from us. I remember one time my wife and I were invited to conduct a, uh, I was invited to conduct a child dedication and my wife and I went to uh, the family to have lunch with them. And during that time, we found out that our table were, um, were those who were pro-Lenny, and there are those who were pro-Marcos, and there were those who were pro-Pakya. We sat in one table with different, um, uh, with different choices of who to vote. But you know what? All, during that time, all of us shared freely about why we choose certain candidates and why we did not choose certain ones. We just listened and no one got angry. No one tried to convince each other to follow their own choice. Everybody accepted each other. And after that conversation, we still love each other because we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that is a beautiful picture of what it means of accepting one another, especially regarding disputable matters. Now, here's the second way that we can show sincere love to the weak and the strong. Don't judge your fellow believers. Verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master's servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now, accepting others and not judging our fellow believers are two sides of the same coin. Again, the context is about dealing with non-essential issues or non-sin issues. If our fellow believer is clearly in sin, then definitely we should not tolerate that sin and blindly accept their behavior. Instead, we are to do our best to speak the truth and love, to warn them, to correct them, and to lead them to repentance. But for disputable matters, we are not to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? 
for two reasons. Number one, God is our master and all of us are fellow servants. God is our master and all of us are fellow servants. Paul tells us this principle. A slave is accountable to the master and not to a fellow servant. You see, our fellow believers are not our servants. We are fellow slaves in the eyes of God. And therefore, our accountability is towards God and not towards our fellow believers. Because God is the master, not us. And since God is our master, he is also our judge. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Paul is addressing the weak here. Then it follows, why do you treat them with contempt? Paul is now addressing the strong. So both, he is talking to both sides. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. And so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. In verse 11, Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah to emphasize that God alone is the sovereign judge to whom we will give an account. Paul tells us, don't judge another believer. Why? Because God will be the one to judge that person. Paul reminds us that all believers will stand before God's judgment seat. And what is this judgment seat? It's the Bima seat. It is like the seat of the judges at the Olympics. After the games, the winners receive their rewards. So the Bima seat is not a judgment about salvation, but it is a judgment about rewarding believers. Paul says that only God has the authority to judge us and even reward us when it comes to disputable matters. And here's another reason why we should not judge our fellow believers. Only God sees the heart. We cannot see people's heart, but only God can. Verse 6, whoever regards one day a special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. Three times Paul says here, they do so to the Lord. They do so to the Lord. They do so to the Lord. And here's the bottom line. The weak who sincerely avoid certain things, they do so to honor God. In the same way, the strong who exercise their freedom in Christ also do the same thing in order to please the Lord. In other words, both the weak and the strong are doing their best with the same motive. They simply desire to please God and glorify Him. All they want is to honor God. Their choices and actions are ways to express their gratitude to the Lord. And so we should not judge each other because we have the same goal. We are on the same team and that is to honor God, to please Him and glorify His name. So if someone has a different opinion from yours, then it's okay. God sees their heart and if their hearts are right, God will be pleased and honored. Now Paul continues, verse 7. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul reminds us that as Christians, every aspect of our lives belongs to the Lord. So everything we do, we should do for the Lord and not for ourselves. Christ died and returned to life so that we would live for him and we would die for him. May God help us. The third, don't cause others to stumble. Verse 13, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. 
Here, stumbling block means a physical object that might cause one to trip or fall. And obstacle here means a trap or a snare. And Paul uses these two terms metaphorically. Both refer to the same thing that, and it is something that is an occasion for causing someone to fall into sin. Paul is specifically addressing the strong here. He says, do not cause your weak brother or sister to stumble. Now, how can we cause someone to stumble? We cause someone to stumble if we do this. If our actions cause our fellow believers to do something that violates their conscience. If we do something that somehow pressures them to do the same, but that leads them to violate their own conscience and conviction. And Paul explains this concept uh, as he continues. Verse 14. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. In this verse, Paul shares his personal conviction and aligns himself with the strong. He says, he himself is fully convinced no food is unclean. And that claim agrees with what that our Lord Jesus said. However, Paul did not insist that the weak had the wrong belief. And he did not condemn them. Instead, Paul said, respect the convictions of the weak. But look at, again, at this passage, it says, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. It's quite interesting that Paul did not say this, uh, I believe that no food is uh, unclean. But then Paul said, we need to respect the conviction of the weak. Paul did not say, you who are strong, correct the weak. You cannot read that in this passage. Paul is highlighting that correcting them is not the priority. What's important is respecting their conviction and helping that person not to, not to stumble or to fall. That is the priority of Paul. We need to help our weak brothers and sisters not to fall into sin by violating their conscience. Paul continues, verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. Paul says, when we grieve someone, when we grieve our brother and sister in Christ, we destroy that person. What does that mean? It simply means that uh, it is not actually not simply about offending the weak believer or causing that believer to feel just emotionally distressed. It's more serious than that. To destroy someone is to cause that person to sin. That is what Paul have in mind here. You see, in exercising our freedom as strong Christians, we need to be careful not to cause the weak Christian to sin. How? The weak Christian act against his or her own conscience because of the influence of the strong Christian. For example, there's a gathering and you, are, you know that you can eat anything, but then the weak Christian believes in his, in his or her mind not to eat certain foods, but because of peer pressure or because of wanting to please you or, or other people, that person is forced to eat something that he or she feels that is sinful against God. And that is causing someone to stumble. Again, the weak believer is destroyed because he ends up doing something that he believes in his heart is wrong. And when that happens, we are no longer acting in love. That is what Paul says. When we cause our fellow believer to stumble in sin, our freedom in Christ, which is supposed to be good, is now then considered evil. And so again, here's the principle. We have the right 
to exercise our freedom in Christ, but let us not forget our responsibility towards our fellow believer. Let us act in love by not causing others to stumble and sin against their conscience. One time, my wife and I are having dinner with some church members. And during that dinner, the host asked me if I would like to drink some wine. I did not answer right away because I wanted to see if someone would react. Personally, I don't mind drinking. Why? Because the Bible describes wine as a gift from God to be enjoyed. I believe it's okay to drink in moderation, but it's getting drunk that is considered a sin. So there's different. That's different, no? Uh, drinking is okay, but getting drunk is a sin. Now, since no one had a negative reaction, I said yes, and I got a little red wine. But if someone reacted and said, Pastor, drinking is a sin, and if... If I am certain that that person fully believe in his heart that it is, then I would not insist on drinking for the sake of my brother or sister in Christ. I would not argue or correct that person. Instead, I would respect that person's conviction by not drinking. Does that make sense? May the Lord help us. Let us do our best not to cause others to stumble. Now think about it. Why did Paul place the burden on the strong believer? Why does he ask the strong Christian to limit his freedom out of love rather than asking the weak to be the one to adjust and change his convictions? Here's the reason. The weak Christian is bound by his conscience. He has no flexibility and he has no freedom to adjust his behavior. Because if he does so, he would be violating his conscience and the thing that he sincerely believes is God's will. On the other hand, the strong Christian understands that his freedom in Christ allows him to do something or not do something. So he is more flexible. And so the strong Christian to adapt more easily to the concerns of the weak. Again, the point is don't cause others to stumble. Why? Verse 17 to 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. You see, if we prioritize insisting on disputable matters more than righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit, we will not be pleasing God and we will not be serving Christ in a pleasing way. Remember, our Christian lives is not all about enjoying our rights and freedom. Instead, our Christian lives or living in God's kingdom is about being a living sacrifice. It's about loving others. It's about living for Christ. It's about pleasing God by pursuing a life through the Spirit that produces righteousness, peace, and joy. And God calls us to help others to do the same, to live a life that is a pleasing sacrifice for God, to help our brothers and sisters to live for Christ and love others as well. And that leads us to our fourth point. Build each other up. Verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Paul says, do not destroy. Instead, build each other up. Do not destroy. Instead, build each other up. You see, God calls us to focus on mutual edification. Mutual edification. Instead of being a stumbling block that harms others, God invites us to be a stepping stones that help others. Instead of being a stumbling block that harm others, God invites us to be stepping stones that help others. So think about your life. Are you a stumbling block or are you a stepping stone? May God help us and may God help us to build up others and make every effort to do it. 
The word make every effort means we are to be active and not passive. And God commands all of us to do all we can first to pursue peace and then to pursue mutual edification or build up each other. It means that as God's community, we need to help each other grow in our walk with God. Now, how do we help build each other up? Paul continues, verses 20 to 21. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. And verse, this verse 20 to 21 is a parallel to what Paul said earlier in verses 14 to 15. Listen to this. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Again, Paul says, do not destroy someone for whom Christ died. Do not destroy the work of God. Now, here's the principle. How do we build each other up? Let us build each other up by doing this. Choosing love over liberty. Choosing responsibility over rights. Choosing others over self. To build each other up, choose love over liberty, choose responsibility over rights, choose others over self. Look at verse 21 again. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Paul says, if exercising your freedom in Christ threatens your relationship with that fellow Christian, or if that or if your freedom in Christ hinders someone from growing spiritually, then it is better to limit your freedom. Be willing to step back. Think about that and ask yourself, is there a right that you need to give up for the sake of loving your weak brother or weak sister in Christ? In what ways can you choose others over yourself? May God help us. Again, the goal is to build each other up and not to destroy one another. Now, does that mean that the strong should totally give up their rights and freedom? Of course not. Paul says in verse 22, So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Here Paul says to the strong believer, Your conviction on your freedom in Christ is good. So keep your conviction and don't renounce your freedom. It's very good that you have um, decided on your mind and you have decided about this. However, don't parade your freedom to show that you are not like the weak. Don't flaunt your freedom carelessly, but be mindful and consider how it might affect others. In other words, this is what Paul is saying. Don't impose your conviction if that would cause others to sin. Always choose love over liberty. Always choose love over liberty. Finally, chapter 14 concludes with this verse, verse 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Paul reaffirmed what he said earlier. Whoever has doubts is condemned. It means that when the weak believer violates his conscience, then it is a sin and violating one's conscience is not acting from faith. And that is something that we need to remember. We need to make every effort not to cause others to fall into sin. Again, here's the point. Both the weak and the strong are called to build each other up in love. And we are not to cause others to sin, but to help each other live a life that pleases God. 
Now let's go to our closing and summary. Today, we learn about how to handle disputable matters and how to show sincere love towards the weak and the strong. And we've learned four things. Number one, accept one another for God has accepted us. Let us accept each other for God has accepted us. Let us not judge our fellow believers. Why? Because God is our master and God is also our judge to whom all of us will give an account. And the third, let us not cause others to stumble. Let us be careful not to cause others to violate their conscience and cause them to fall into sin. And the last, let us build each other up. Let us choose love over liberty. Let us choose responsibility over rights. Let us choose others over self. Again, let us love both the weak and the strong for the good of God's people and for the glory of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. You are the God who is good to us, who loves us, who forgives our sin through Christ, who gave us life through Christ, who gave us, Lord, this wonderful gift of fellowship with each other through Christ. Thank you, Father, for the things that you have taught us through the Apostle Paul. Lord, in our own um, limits of God, in our own humanity, we tend to be selfish and focus on ourselves. And we tend to argue, especially on those things that are secondary. We ask, O oh God, that you help us to fully understand the concepts that you've taught us here in Romans. And we pray, Lord God, that you help us to sincerely love the weak and the strong for our good and for your glory. We ask, O oh Lord, that you enable us by your spirit to accept one another. For you have accepted us, O oh God. Help us, Lord, to not judge one another, but remind ourselves that we are all doing our best to serve you. You are our master, and you are the judge to whom we will give an account. Help us, O oh God. And Lord, for those of us who are not yet um, decided on certain matters or certain issues, please give us wisdom, give us clarity, and help us, Lord God, to understand these things more fully as we seek your truth, as we journey with others. Enable us, O oh God, to build each other up. We pray, O oh Lord, that in everything may we act in love, Lord God, while as we exercise our freedom in Christ, which is a great gift from you. Help us, Lord God, to be mindful of our responsibility and uh, not just focus on ourselves, but focus on loving others and building them up, Lord God, for the good of your people, for the building of your kingdom. Thank you so much. And Father, for all of us who are going through difficulties in our family, in our business, in our work, in our ministry, we pray, O oh Lord, that you grant us your presence, empower us, O oh God, with your spirit. Help us, Lord, not to forget the good things that you have given us. Help us to declare the praises of your glory. Help us to understand, Lord God, that your plan for us is perfect. Though we may not understand, help us, Lord, to just to endure, have hope, Hold on to you, Lord God. In our weakness, Lord God, be our strength. In our confusion, be the one to guide us. Give us wisdom. In our fear and worry, be our courage. Empower us with your spirit and surround us with people who would journey with us, who would encourage us, who would be our stepping stones. And in the same way, help us, Lord God, to be stepping stones to others and not cause others to stumble because of our words, actions, or thoughts. Thank you, Father, so much for the grace that you've given us. Help us to see how you are working in our lives each day, 
each moment, O Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful opportunity to be part of your church, to be part of your family and your people. Help us to do everything to, um, to honor you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, as you bow your heads, let me give you this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. See you again next time.